0: at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast at Brian McClanahan. If you don't want to search for all those social media accounts, just go to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com, B-R-I-O-N mcclanahan.com. At the top of the page, you'll find all my social media buttons. While you're there, give me an email address and I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title, Red Ball Yours Truly. You can support the Brian McClanahan show by going to mclanahanacademy.com mclanahanacademy.com It's always free to enroll. Those that do enroll get a free course, 10 Myths of American History. Just check your email after you enroll in the the academy. You'll get that class. Sign up for that. I've also got 7 classes available for purchase. That helps support the podcast and the show. You've got 5 lecture courses up to 54 lecture courses. So a lot of great stuff. And those that do enroll do get the best deals on forthcoming courses and I have one coming out in the fall the second half of my u.s history survey course so it's going to be a great time a lot of good stuff it's a great homeschool curriculum but it's also a great curriculum for those who are just looking to have a lifelong learning experience you can also support the show by going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support you can throw a few pennies my way help keep the lights on help keep the podcast going there's a tab at the top of that page brian mcclanahan.com click on that and you can get a book plate you can donate you can also shop. Just click on the Shop tab while you're there. You can buy my Brian McClanahan Show logo on all kinds of stuff. Coffee mugs, clocks, T-shirts, kids' clothes, uh, stickers, wall plates, all kinds of cool stuff. So if you want my logo on something, go out to that Shop tab and get that stuff. You can also go to Learn T-R-U-E, T-R-U-E learntruehistory.com. You can support the show that way as well. That's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom, where I do teach there as well. Uh, it's a great website. Over 20 classes, uh, and you've got uh, it's a lot of bang for your buck. You've got Tom Woods, Kevin Goodson, Brad Berzer, Jason Jewell, Bob Murphy, yours truly, all kinds of great people who teach there, and uh, it's a wonderful website. So if you want economics, philosophy, and history, you can go to learntruehistory.com. dot Use my uh, use my affiliate link so you can support this show while you go do it. But again, I teach there as well. A lot of great ways to support the show, and I do appreciate your support. Also, share my podcast around on social media, like it. Uh, You know, on Facebook, when I put these things out there, Um, also, you know, rate it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you rate your podcast, wherever you get your information, wherever you get your podcast, that way more people see it. Five-star ratings are good. So if if you're so inclined, give me a five-star rating and that will help more people see the show. All right, let's talk about the topic of the day. And it's a piece that appeared in the Washington Post entitled The Reasonable Rebels. Now this goes back to Alan Gelzo and what I talked about in the last episode, episode two five eight, and Gelzo's uh, Prager U video, which was six minutes, uh, six minute stand up comedy routine, right? But the point of that is that we have now this woman, uh, Eve Fairbanks, is on the left. Gelzo was supposedly on the right, but they have one thing in common: they both hate the South. And they both think the South is the reason why America is awful. Because you see, it's the South that's been everything bad in America. There's nothing in the South that's ever been good. Uh, Gelzo believes that the South won Reconstruction and therefore messed everything up. That if they had just occupied the South for generation upon generation, things would have been better in America. We would have had a capitalist South. Uh, we would have had a south of equality because you know the north was all equal, which is why there was race riots in Boston in the 1970s. But hey, I mean that that's that's an outlier, right? I mean this, is, those people were just protesting, uh, you know, uh, busing in, in Boston. That was just an outlier, no, which is why there were race riots in virtually every northern, northern city in the 1960s. But hey, that's an outlier. That's that's an outlier. the, the, the north was good, which is why there were lynchings and race rights in the nineteen teens in the north. But, you know, hey, egalitarianism in the North. I mean that's which is why there were populists in the North who wanted to oppose this Hamiltonian financial system. But hey, all these Northerners were staunch industrial capitalists, you see. Their their argument is a house of cards. It's ridiculous. But here you have someone saying, well, the real problem with America right now is that people adhere too much to anti-bellum rhetoric. Now, that implies a couple of things. Number one, that somehow post-bellum rhetoric should be different. And it also shows clearly, not implies, but it shows clearly another thing, that she believes in a Lincolnian America. There is a Jeffersonian America or an America of the founding generation, and then there's a Lincolnian America which is entirely different. This is something that Don Livingston has argued forever. It's something that I've talked about. Uh, but we have a break in the war. And she says the real problem is we don't follow Lincolnian America. We're not, we're not going with Lincoln. So this is where the left, the establishment left, and the establishment right agree that Lincoln is the guy we should all get around and rally around Lincoln. Ignoring the fact that Lincoln, this is the important thing, was a minority president. 60% of the American public didn't want him as president, even when he won in 1864. And you say, well, he got 55% in 1864. That's only of the North. You got to remember, that's only the North voting. If you throw the South in there, he doesn't win again. And only 55%, 45% of Northerners didn't want Lincoln as president. Now, why is that? Now, Eve Fairbanks is going to make the case that all these people were just duped by the South. It's the same thing that Gelzo is saying. These people... Uh, were, were just, they, they, the Southerners were just duping them into all these horrible beliefs. Like, they believed in the Constitution. I mean, how horrible is that? They believe that we shouldn't have tyrannical government. Oh, my gosh. I mean, can you, can, can you believe these people? Can you believe how horrible they are? That They don't want tyranny. They don't want unconstitutional government. They don't want infringement on civil liberties. Can you believe that? Can you believe these people, the audacity of these people to believe such horrible things, to believe in English civil liberties, to believe in the rights of Englishmen, (laughs) to believe in the ancient constitutions, to believe in the Constitution itself and the Bill of Rights? Can you believe these things? Now, I know the argument because she's going to get into the slaveholders and people will say, well, the Southerners didn't believe in the Bill of Rights because they shut down free speech in Southern states. Well... We have to understand here, the Bill of Rights only applies to the central government, not the states. And if the states wanted to regulate speech or whatever publications were in their states, as long as it didn't violate the state constitution, they could do it. Now, you can make a case that when South Carolina did prohibit the distribution of Garrison's Liberator newspaper, that it violated the state constitution. So, therefore, that was illegal. You could make that case. I'm not going to defend that action. Uh, because if the state constitution is clearly against it, they shouldn't have done it. But uh, there is no federal violation there because the U.S. government wasn't saying you can't distribute that newspaper at all. The South was not saying that newspaper can't be distributed in other places. It just wasn't allowed to be distributed in South Carolina or wherever, if it was prohibited in any other southern state. What I mean, this is the issue. So we're talking about federal policy. And the other thing we're looking at here is, of course, hysteria. And she makes some arguments that are just absolutely absurd on their face. Okay, so I'm going to go through this thing. It's 21 pages, but it's big type, big text, so it's not really that long. Um, But let let me get into this. So this again is Eve Fairbanks, August 29, 2019, Washington Post. The Reasonable Rebels. Conservatives say we've abandoned reason and civility. The old South used the same language to defend slavery. So right from the beginning, she says. All conservatives are simply, and she says she's not trying to do this, but she is trying to do this, right? So it's just, these people are just a bunch of racists. After the El Paso shooting, Ben Shapiro, a popular conservative podcaster, asked Americans to draw a line between the few conservatives who are white supremacists and those who, like him, aren't. Almost all Americans are on the same side, he said, and we should be mourning together. And his telling we aren't for one simple reason. Too many on the political left are castigating the character of those who disagreed, lumping conservatives and political nonconformists together with racists and xenophobes. Well, they do this. I mean, look, you can have an argument that has nothing to do with race, and simply because uh, you disagree with them, they'll just call you a racist. This is true. The left does this. I mean, I think that Fairbanks is trying to say they don't, but they do. Uh, Now, it's losing its punch over time because they've done it so often it doesn't have any meaning anymore. Uh, I oppose the Green New Deal. You're a racist. Uh, I oppose economic redistribution. You're a racist. I like to drink milk. You're a racist. I mean, it's it's stupidity on on the highest level. Now, I I actually don't drink milk, but I mean, people that do, I, I like using black Sharpie pens. You're a racist. I mean, this is, this is where we're going in America. Everything that they disagree with, it, you're just a racist then. Uh, Donald Trump wants to lower taxes. Well, then clearly you're a racist. This is the argument that's used. Because everything hurts people of color, as they would say. They, the People of color. Uh, everything that uh, the conservatives support does that. Now, this is where Gelzo and I made the point in the last podcast, He's not escaping this by simply by by siding with the radicals during Reconstruction, which is what he's doing. He's not escaping the charges because they would call him a racist, too. So, I mean, this is this is the issue. You're not you're not getting anywhere by simply agreeing with them. They're not even right on that issue. So you should oppose them. This is the problem. Now, Fairbanks says, I grew up in a conservative family. The people I talk to most frequently, the people I call when I need help, are conservative. I'm not inclined to paint conservatives as thoughtless bigots. But then there's a but after that. I'm not inclined to do a but. I'm going to. <laughs> this, is, this is how stupid this is. It's the well, I know conservatives. This is this is the argument. I know conservatives. I have conservative friends, so I can say whatever I want about conservatives. The 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 uh, the argument, you know, that people would say if they call you a racist, if you would say, you know, well, I have I have lots of friends who, who are not like me. Well, but still, that's just a cop out. So, I mean, this is they're using the same logic. And that if, if, a, if somebody who was conservative wrote this, but reverse the language, well, that doesn't mean anything. So, I mean, it's a silly argument. But a few years ago, listening to the voices and arguments of commentators like Shapiro, I began to feel a very specific deja vu I couldn't initially identify. It felt as if the arguments I was reading were eerily familiar. I found myself googling lines from articles, especially when I read the rhetoric of a group of people who we we call the reasonable right. These are figures who typically dislike President Trump, but often say they're being pushed rightward sometimes away from what they claim as their natural leftward bent, by intolerance and extremism on the left. The reasonable right includes people like Shapiro and the radio commentator Dave Rubin, legal scholar Amy Wax and Jordan Peterson, the Canadian academic who warns about identity politics, the social psychologist Jonathan Haidt, the New York Times columnist Barry Weiss and the American Enterprise Institute scholar Christina Hoff Summers, self-described feminists who decry excesses in the feminist movement, The novelist, Brett Easton Ellis, and the podcaster, Sam Harris, who believe that important subjects have needlessly been excluded from political discussions. They present their concerns as, principally, freedom of speech and diversity of thought. Weiss has called them renegade ideological explorers who venture into dangerous territory, despite their outrage and derision directed their way by haughty social gatekeepers. So it felt frustrating When I read Weiss, when I listened to Shapiro, when I watched Peterson or read the supposedly heterodox online magazine, Quillette, what was I reminded of? Hmm, this is frustrating. What was I? I'm sure that she spends a lot of time with these people. I'm sure she does. I'm sure she reads a lot of these people. I highly doubt it. But I'm sure that she does. Then she gets into it. My childhood. home was just a half hour from drive from Manassas Battlefield in Virginia. And I grew up intensely fascinated by the Civil War. I love perusing soldiers' diaries. During my senior year in college, I studied almost nothing but Abraham Lincoln's speeches. Uh, the, so you read soldiers' diary, but then you studied Abraham Lincoln's speeches. While I wrote my thesis on a key Lincoln address, Civil War rhetoric was almost all I read. Not just that of the 16th president, but also that of his adversaries. Really? Okay. Thinking back on those debates, I finally figured out. The reasonable rights rhetoric is exactly the same as the antebellum rhetoric I'd read so much of. The the exact words. The exact arguments. Rhetoric to be precise in support of the slave-owning South. If that sounds absurd, Shapiro and his compatriots aren't defending slavery after all. It may be because many Americans are unfamiliar with the South's actual rhetoric. When I was a kid in public school, I learned the arguments of Senator John C. Calhoun, who called slavery a positive good, and Alexander Stevens, the Confederacy's vice president, who declared that the South's ideological cornerstone rested upon the great truth that the Negro is not equal to the white man. But such clear statements were not the norm. Now, uh, first of all, I, I'm sure she did learn these things in school, because that's all you hear, and she's saying, well, I learned other nuanced things. I learned these things. I, I knew these other. Now, by the 1860s, you didn't have to read Alexander H. Stevens to read that he thought that. All you had to do is read Abraham Lincoln <laughs> or uh, many other northern commentators who were saying the exact same things as Stevens. I've covered this as well in this, in this podcast. Uh, how this is just a ridiculous assertion that somehow Stevens was an outlier or that even Calhoun was an outlier. His pro-slavery thought wasn't even unique. It was the most, uh, um, I, th- I would think, uh, ununique part of Calhoun. Uh, his political philosophy, though, was unique. But his, his thoughts on pro-slavery, I mean, that was the norm uh, for the pro-slavery ideologues, North and South. He wasn't saying anything that was novel when he made those arguments, that other people had not said. So um, I know that people focus on these things. And people by the 1850s in the South, the pro-slavery ideologues, did come out and essentially say what they thought about things. Uh, They weren't hiding it. She's saying that those weren't the norm. Everyone was hiding. They were all hiding behind something. Southerners didn't have any reason to hide if they believed in pro-slavery in the 1850s. They were openly saying it. But such clear statements were not the norm. Pro-slavery rhetoricians talked little of slavery itself. Well, that's not true. They talked about it all the time. I mean, if you look at James Henry Hammond, he talked about it very openly. Uh, If you look at uh, George Fitzhugh, he talked about it very openly. I mean, these these are the dominant pro-slavery ideologues. Um, And they were very open about what they thought about the institution. Uh, You know, those that were uh, simply... Uh, those that were publishing tracts defending slavery were open about saying that slavery is this. They talked about slavery. Now, they use other arguments, certainly, but they talked about why they thought it was a positive for the South. Uh, this, is, this is obfuscation, again, hiding behind some things. He, she's saying things that simply aren't true. Instead, they anointed themselves as the defenders of reason, free speech, and civility. The prevalent line of argument in the antebellum South rested on the supposition that Southerners were simultaneously the keepers of an ancient faith and renegades made martyrs by their dedication to facts, reason, and civil discourse. It might sound strange that America's pro-slavery faction styled itself the guardian of freedom and minority rights, and yet it did. In a deep study of antebellum Southern rhetoric, Patricia Roberts Miller, a professor of rhetoric at the University of Texas at Austin, characterizes a story that pro-slavery writers wanted to tell between the 1830s and 1860s as not one of demanding more power, but of David resisting Goliath. Well, I mean, look, that is uh, true to a point. I mean, uh, that they were. I mean, look, the South consider themselves to be a minority section. This is about power. I've mentioned this a lot of times. Uh, the South viewed itself as a permanent minority. This is the same argument the North was using, though, before they gained power in Congress, right? Before it seemed that they were going to hold the cards. Um, so the South was looking and saying, gosh, we're going to be a minority. Now, Now you can make a case they weren't. I mean, you could say that the South, if, if there's no split in 1860, the South still wins. The South had controlled the government in the 1850s. They weren't really the minority. That they were simply using uh, a, a straw man to knock it over. I mean, I think you can make a case of that um, because of Northern Democrat support. Uh, but... You had this very powerful group, um, rhetorically powerful group, and that was the abolitionists. And the abolitionists, though, were a minority. So I mean, this is this. There are some things that are right about this, and some things that aren't. They stressed the importance of logic, facts, truth, science, and nature much more than northern northern rhetoricians did. Now, uh, the thing about this is also they're not. She's missing what this is. They antebellum bellum rhetoric was traditional. It's not reason they're adhering to it's tradition. And uh, they do make statements about science nature. I mean they, they make these these arguments. But what they're referring to more than anything else is tradition. They are against engineering. and when I say engineering, they're against a new type of, uh, of reason. And this is what John Dickinson said, and who's uh, from, uh, from D- Pennsylvania, but then Delaware as well. You know, experience must be our only guide; reason may mislead us. And I think this is where Southerners were saying, I mean, yeah, th- some of them were appealing to a kind of progressivism at the time. And, and this is where people would say the South was progressive, and these are the progressives. They were appealing to a type of that, but more than anything, they're appealing to tradition. Uh, the traditional order in the South is what they were talking about, or traditional civil liberties, or, or the, the traditional forms of government. These are the things they're appealing to, uh, which is, I mean, so what you're saying is we sh- it, it, she's, she's masking what's actually going on here with kind of the pseudoscience look at things. They chided their adversaries for being romantic idealists, ignoring the experience of centuries. So tradition, right? Tradition is what she's saying. The experience of centuries. They're appealing to tradition. Josiah Knott, a surgeon who laid out the purported science behind black inferiority, held that questions like slavery should, slavery should be left open to fair and honest investigation and made to stand for or fall according to the facts. They claimed that they were, they were the ones who truly had black people's best interests at heart thanks to their more realistic understanding of human biology. No one be willing to do more for the Negro that race than I, John Wilkes Booth wrote shortly before he assassinated Lincoln. He alleged that he. That any pragmatist could see that freeing black people into a cold, cruel world would actually cause their annihilation. Slavery, another Southern thinker argued, was natural because if whites could work the sweltering South Carolina rice fields, they, could, they would. The constitutions of black men, on the other hand, were perfectly adapted. They loved hyperbole. Events were the most extraordinary spectacles that had ever challenged the notice of the civilized world. Too alarming and threatening, threatened to destroy all that is valuable and beautiful in the institutions of our country. All over, they saw slippery slopes, objecting to the extension of slavery into new territories. Lincoln's longtime position would lead, inexorably, to miscegenation. Now, there was Northerners who were arguing that, not, not Southerners. Northerners were afraid of this, of extending uh, uh, blacks into the territories. <laughs> you go out and read, I mean, this is This is clear. Northerners are making these arguments. Western farmers, they didn't want them there. In fact, this is what they're calling the Republican Party, the white man's party. And her hyperbole, she's saying that only the right now uses hyperbole? The world's going to end in 12 years. Is that not hyperbole of the highest order? I mean, this is how funny this thing actually is. That she's saying, well, the, the people on the right use this stuff, but we don't on the left. We don't do it. We don't do these things. The world will end in twelve years. Is that not hyperbole? If we don't pass this climate change legislation, the world is going to end in twelve years. Now, that's just one example. I mean, you could go down the line. How if we don't if we don't have healthcare for all, uh, you know, millions of people are going to die. Uh, Donald Trump is killing millions of people. I mean, this is the hyperbole that the left uses. It's scare. We don't do these things. Both sides use hyperbole to get to whip people up to do things. I mean, that's that's just the nature of politics. The most important thing to know about them, they held, was that they were not the oppressors. They were the oppressed. They were driven to feelings of isolation and shame purely on the basis of freely held ideas. The right of every thinking man, Representative Alexander Sims, claimed that America's real problem was the way Southerners were made to suffer under the sneers and fanatic uh, and fan- fanaticism and wicked pretensions to philanthropy. Booth's complaint before he shot Lincoln wasn't that he could no longer practice slavery, something he'd never done anyway. Instead, he lamented that he could no-, no longer felt comfortable expressing my thoughts or sentiments on slavery freely in good company. Let's call this particular logic antebellum reasoning. Its appeal was that it identified pro-Southern rhetoricians as the upholders of America's true heritage. They were, in their own reckoning, dedicated to truth and persecuted by tyrants. Just as the early Americans found a sense of pride and worth in England's inability to endure their descent, so antebellum Southerners located their virtue in the passions set against them. All of this is there, and the reason we're right. The claim that they are the little people struggling against prevailing winds, the argument that they're the ones championing reason and common sense, the allegation that their inter- they so uh, chargers aren't so much wrong as excessive. They're just trying to think freely and are being tormented. The reliance on hyperbole and slippery slopes to warn about their adversaries' intentions and power. The depiction of their opponents as an orthodoxy. An epithet, the antebellum South love. Now let's just, uh, is it really a slippery slope? I mean, one thing we have to ask, are conservatives being persecuted? We know they are on social media platforms and advertising. We know Google throttles things down. We know that Facebook and Twitter has openly said that they do these things that Google has openly said they do these things. So there is, is there a persecution? Are people called all kinds of names simply because they disagree with someone? And isn't there an attempt to assassinate someone's character or their reputation or their job or whatever it is simply because they agree, disagree with someone? Of course it happens. It happens all the time. And the problem is the left has had a monopoly on this, but they're not, they're not any. I mean, I think because the right has started using the same tactics against the left, you're starting to see some of these things boomerang back to them, and they don't like it either. There was just a piece the other day I read about that. The boomerang effect it's having on the left. They don't like it. They don't like being called things. They don't like being called out for what they are. The New York Times doesn't like it. But people are starting to do it to them, too, so that you can't, the, the hypocrisy of the left is the most glaring problem. They are the only gatekeepers of truth and good and right act I mean, this is essentially what Fairbanks is saying here. Well, I mean, we don't do these things. The right does all these things. If Dave Rubin, who says, if you have any spark of individualism in you, if you have anything about you that's interesting or different, they, the left, will come to destroy that. I hear the pro-Southern newspaper editor, Duff Green, abolitions attendance to drive the white men from the South. But Rubin is right about that. They will come to destroy you. They'll try. They'll try. I have a friend who was um, very much into the pro-life movement in Oklahoma. And people would call his house and leave nasty messages saying they were going to you know, do horrible things to his wife. I mean, these are the pro, pro-choice people that would do this. They would call his house. Or how about the fact that uh, Tucker Carlson had his home attacked? You, you're, I mean, okay now, let's, let's talk about this in a fair way. Certainly, that there there have been acts on, that the right has done that are people on the right, quote unquote, who have done things that aren't that aren't uh, good at all. But the left has done more violence. The left has been the more violent institution in the history of man than it, than the right ever has been. Uh, so she gives some other examples. I don't want to read all these things. Um, and then she says, "Is there truth to these complaints, such as the one from Alex Amy Wax that America's cultural cohesion gets no attention, no discussion? As she recently complained in New York to the New Yorker, are the boundaries of public discourse in America really so proscribed that no opinion outside of the left-wing orthodoxy can be spoken? Of course not," she says. "Of course not." Over the past ten years, Fox News has outstripped CNN as America's most watched cable news network. On the day special counsel Robert Mueller releases report on Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election, Fox News's online articles racked up more reactions and shares on Facebook than all the stories by CBS, ABC, and NPR combined. Conservatives control the presidency, the Senate, and the Supreme Court. It is true that it's career-ending, or is it true that it's career-ending to be of the reasonable right? Shapiro's recent The Right Side of History was a New York Times number one bestseller. Rubin's YouTube channel has more than one million subscribers, and last year he was the subject of an admiring 4,000-word profile in Playboy. Peterson bragged that scalpers were charging more to, for a sold-out appearance of his, ticket, uh, of his for, than for tickets to a Toronto Maple Leaf playoff game. Uh, so she's saying because of this, this is an example that these, these ideas are out there, that people aren't persecuted for them. Really? I mean, there, as, as Tom Woods had a professor on who said some things against the orthodoxy of the, uh, of the establishment academy, and he was put basically in a closet. Nobody talks to the guy. Uh, there are certain segments of society where you can't say things. One of them is the academy. Uh, the other, I mean, look, you have to be careful what you do say uh, at times in the media. Um, but, I mean, this is true. Now she says this is Lincoln. You know what we should do is follow Lincoln. Her argument is that we should follow Lincoln. Was concerned about these things, um, and so we should follow Lincolnian logic here. We're, these are bad things. We need to just call them out as bad things. So essentially, she's saying uh, that what we need to do is censor. Lincoln was censorship. <laughs> Ultimately, uh, that, uh, that attacking these uh, the southern way of life. I mean that was the that was benefit. We shouldn't we shouldn't adhere to antebellum. We shouldn't adhere to tradition or civil liberties or the tenth or the uh, tenth amendment, the first amendment, whatever. We shouldn't adhere to that. What we should do is say that we don't we don't have these things. So postbellum logic in her law in her mind, postbellum rhetoric should be censorship. If you follow her logically, I mean, this is what she's saying. And she's saying that of course northerners were duped by Southerners. And um, She says these are the kinds of questions or she has the questions here. But why, Lincoln asked, was he choosing to die on the South Hill? Why would applying his principle—the mandate to protect the South from interference by extremist hordes—end up curtailing freedom for millions of Black Americans? Was it possible Lincoln suggested that Douglas secretly preferred a slave society to a free one? These are the kinds of questions we should be asking of the reasonable right. I don't know what they—I know what they say they worry about, but I don't know that they, what they want. A recent Vanity Fair profile of Weiss begins with everything she's been accused of being, alt-rider, fascist, the provocateur, the left loves to hate. There's no evidence that Weiss is widely hated, except by a subsection of Twitter. She's a New York Times opinion writer. She appears regularly on Bill Maher's HBO talk show. But if she's not defend, defined by being hated, then what is she? So she's saying this is just you know, publicity for her. Many reasonable right figures find themselves defending the liberties of people to the right of them. Not because they agree with these people, they say, but on principle. Well, I mean, the the object of free speech is to defend the people that you don't care for. I mean, that's the whole point. This is what the Quakers would say. It's Quaker position. All right, so... She says, she she finishes up with this piece. I sympathize with that yearning. I myself was deeply moved by antebellum reasoning as a child. I preferred reading letters written by Confederate soldiers. They talked about bedrock American face, which was alluring in a complex world where policy is boring and compromise-laden. Southerners understood that and used it well. The depiction of our ideas is still the one, subconsciously, for which Americans reach when we feel blown off course. But today I see what Lincoln feared. Nearly daily I read some new figure appealing to antebellum reasoning. Joining the reasonable right seems to render these figures desirable contributors to center-left media outlets. That's because, psychologically, the claim to victimhood can function as a veiled threat. It tricks the listener into entering the world where the speaker is a needy one, fragile, requiring the listener to constantly adjust his behavior to cater to the, Im- the imperiled person. With this threat, the reasonable right has recruited the left into serving its purpose. Media outlets and college campuses now go to extraordinary lengths to prove their balance and tolerance. They do? I don't think they do. They don't go to extreme ranks to, to show balance. It's the exact opposite. In the human body, viruses use the shells of immune cells to trick other cells into letting them in. Principles like freedom and equality of function throughout time as the American immune system warding off sickness. But they can also be co-opted. As they were more than, as they were more than 150 years ago, ideas like freedom of speech, diversity, and respect are now being used to turn opponents of conservatism into helpless hosts, transmitting its ideas. If you hear somebody lament, as Brett Stevens says, that political opinions that were considered reasonable and normal not too long ago now must be delivered in whispers, it might be antebellum reasoning. But it's true. It's not just reasoning, it's true. She concludes by saying uh, The truth is that we have more avenues now for free expression in America than we've ever had. Well, that is true. Uh, but the mainstream avenues, many of them, are shut off. So you have to use things like podcasts or, you know, uh, alt-media, alt-media. If somebody says liberals have become illiberal, you should consider whether it's true. But you should also know that this assertion has a long history and that George Wallace and Barry Goldwater use it to, in their era as to powerful effect. But they have become illiberal. Uh, it's just that when you say things like Fox News, it's because people consume what they want to hear. And they don't want to hear CNN, but CNN doesn't. CNN is a joke. MSNBC is a joke. So people consume what they want to consume. That's just the left doesn't doesn't consume. The left doesn't spend a lot of money on these things, so they don't watch. Um, we know that the left is the majority because we saw it in the last presidential election. So she's saying that there's some of these things. This proves that the, that the illiberal liberals are not the majority. It doesn't prove anything. It just proves that these people will rally around their people right? That's all that it proves. Uh, and liberals are liberal. You know, they, they don't want to have any tolerance. They don't tolerate any dissent from their, from their positions. And they try to get rid of you if, they, if you do. Uh, so, I mean, it's true. And she, she slaps, you know, Barry Goldwater and George Wallace at the end, right? So, I mean, this is, she's, this, is, this is, in their language, this is a dog whistle. There it is. These people are just racists. Right, so she's using the same the same logic that's always used against the right, the same arguments. She's just trying to hide it in what she says. She's saying, "I'm not I'm not saying these people are this, but they are." And this is how ridiculous this piece is. But, anyways, it's fun to go through these things because, again, it's the South. It's the problem. It's not the North. The North wasn't the problem. The, the problem there were Northerners that were duped, though. I mean, these people were just duped. It's always been the South. that has been the problem. These people were just duped into believing these things. So that's it. Uh, That's it for this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. I hope you enjoyed it, and I'll see you next time.